Tonight, a pack of a dozen teenagers attack Jewish kids on the streets of Toronto. Who did it and why? It's November 13th and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Thank consumer you. I know? There's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You'd think that a group of religious Jews wearing yarmulkes, that's the little head covering, you'd think a group of them walking down the street in Toronto and being attacked by a pack of a dozen or more teenagers. I've read some reports saying there were up to 20 people were in on it. You'd think that would be big news. Four Jews say they were accosted by a gang and say that it started with anti-Semitic taunts and it soon moved to a fight, a physical assault, even a robbery. The gang scattered, but police say they arrested one suspect and are looking for more. Now that's pretty shocking, I think. It's actually not far from our world headquarters here in Toronto. Here's what the general area looks like on Google Maps. It's a very Jewish area. I mean, Jewish bakeries, there's two bagel shops right next to each other. There's synagogues around there, Jewish homes. Uh, it's a couple of blocks away from the barber from library. I mean, what, what gang would even be there in the heart of what I lovingly call Jutopia? Here's a press release uh, from police. Let me read it uh, to you a little bit of it. Robbery, hate crime investigation, nine young persons wanted. That's what they say in the headline. Sounds serious, doesn't it? Uh, let me read the whole thing to you. The Toronto Police Service is requesting the public's assistance, identifying and locating nine young persons wanted in a robbery hate crime investigation. On Sunday, November 11th, 2018 at 8 p.m., officers responded to an assault in the Fairholme Avenue and Bathurst Street area. It is reported that four 17-year-old boys were walking in the area, all of whom were wearing attire of their religious faith. As they passed another group of young persons who were unknown to them, derogatory comments were made about their religion. The unknown group then assaulted two of the 17-year-old boys, punching and kicking them. A pair of sunglasses was stolen from one of the victims. The unknown suspect split up and fled the area. Police were called and attending officers located and arrested one of the suspects involved in the assault. The victims of the assault received treatment for their injuries at the scene. The outstanding suspects are described as in their early teens. And the first thing I noticed was they asked for help in finding the suspects, but they didn't describe the suspects. Even though they have one suspect in custody, who could surely tell them a lot of details, they said there were four victims who were 17. So surely and obviously they saw who the attackers were. And even if they couldn't describe them precisely, you know, in a fight or whatever, they could surely know a few things. I mean, to say the obvious, were they male or female? Let's start there early teens. That's specific. Were they, were they also Jewish? I, I doubt it. Were they, oh, I don't know, Muslim? Maybe they were white supremacists or something. That's what the media tells us we have to be on the lookout for. Who's attacking Jews? Who were they? 
It's odd that the police would know. Surely they would know because the 17-year-old boys would tell them the one suspect. So the police know. They claim they want our help, but they won't tell us anything about the suspects. That's odd. Don't you think that's odd? I mean, if you don't want to ask for help, don't ask for help, but don't pretend. That's weird. Here's one of the teens who was attacked, who answered questions outside a synagogue in a little scrum, just right outside his little Jewish school. Uh, he mentions that they shouted about Hitler and Nazis. But oddly, he doesn't mention anything about the suspect either. Now, we blurred his face because he's a minor. Take a look at this. What happened? We were walking and we were just saying stuff. I didn't really hear what they said, but they said stuff. And that's it. So my friend was like, don't really, you know, don't mess. Go away. And they just start attacking. My friend, said, my friend was like, don't mess. Go away. You know, I'm not going to just go away. They heard they Hitler. They were screaming. We can't, you know, we're just walking. We're just like, we're trying to walk. We didn't. Then they started to get aggressive. Then there was like five people on top of my friend, punching him on top of him. That, you know, so then we pulled down a car and the guy happened to be connected with radios and stuff like that. So then we start to chase them. I think, I think it's odd, don't you think? I mean, it's one thing to have vandalism. That happens a lot in Toronto. Here's a story from just last month. Just about five minutes away from this latest incident. It's a Jewish school. If you scroll down a little bit in the website, you can see the phrase free Palestine is graffitied right onto the school sign. Who knows who did that? I mean, it says free Palestine, but it could have been white supremacists, I suppose. Or maybe it's Palestinian extremists, of which there are now countless in this country, and Trudeau can't bring in Muslim extremists fast enough. He even says ISIS returnees have a powerful voice we should listen to. And that's the thing, isn't it? How the media reacts to anti-Semitism absolutely depends on who's doing the anti-Semitism. Right now, there's a Muslim terrorist group called Hamas that is right now shooting dozens, hundreds of rockets and missiles into Israel from Gaza deliberately aiming at civilian areas, and meh, you know, no one cares. The UN doesn't care. There are a few perfunctory tweets out there, but no one cares. In fact, Justin Trudeau just topped up Canada's gift to the Hamas-run hate schools in Gaza, so he's obviously not too perturbed by things. That was a boost to our previous Canadian gift to Hamas. Donald Trump had cut back American funding to Gaza because of corruption and terrorism. So Trudeau replaced the funding that Trump cut. He undid Trump's ethical move. Not too surprising. I mean, Trudeau appointed Omar al-Jabra, the Saudi-born former president of the Canadian Arab Federation, as uh, one of Trudeau's parliamentary secretaries. The Canadian Arab Federation supported the legalization of Hamas and Hezbollah, both terrorist groups which specifically target Jews for murder. So that's all fine with the liberals and the media. Have you ever seen a story criticizing Omar al-Jabra's historic anti-Semitism? I haven't. Now compare that to the mass shooting in Pittsburgh last month when a white racist shot up a synagogue. Now that was huge news, as it should have been. 11 people were murdered and more were wounded, including police, but the reaction 
was massive in the media, much more so and much more quickly condemned as a terrorist hate crime than similar terrorist attacks done by Muslim perpetrators when the knee-jerk reaction is always, oh, it's too early to tell, don't jump to conclusions, and okay, well, sure, the perpetrator is Muslim, but this wasn't a Muslim act, it was just workplace violence or something, and oh, okay, fine, he said Allah Akbar, but he didn't mean it, he was just mentally ill. You know the drill. This is what they did with Faisal Hussain. Right here in Toronto, the mass murderer who calmly went down the Danforth Ave in Toronto, just murdering people. The media and the political establishment and the police muddied the waters by trying to de-Islamize that obvious act of terrorism. The opposite in Pittsburgh. In fact, they tried to hang it around Trump's neck politically, even though the terrorist in Pittsburgh clearly said he hated Donald Trump because he thought Trump was too pro-Jewish, and Trump is pretty Jew, pro-Jewish. Um, it was so disgraceful that after that attack in Pittsburgh, one of Trudeau's liberal MPs, Anthony Housefather, this guy, actually had the gall to blame Donald Trump for anti-Semitism here in Canada. What a disgrace. Okay, so who did this in Toronto? Obviously the police know they have a suspect in custody. I think the victims would know. But no one has said who on the record yet, at least not as I'm writing and saying this, but two sources in the community who I talked to, I live not too far away, told me that strangely, surprisingly, it was a gang of young Filipino men, teenagers, but Filipino, not Muslims, not white supremacists, and I have to tell you, I was quite surprised by what they said, because in Toronto, at least, I can tell you from my own observations, living here and not far away from where this all happened, the Jewish and Filipino communities are close and friendly. There's not a Jewish institution in the area where you know, it's a synagogue or a daycare or a restaurant or a bakery that doesn't have Filipino staff in intimate roles. I bet you those two uh, bagel bakeries, I haven't actually been into those two, but I bet you there's Filipino staff in there, for example. The community is peaceful. I've never heard of anything like this. And to have that Nazi edge that that one Jewish kid talked about, quoting and <clears throat> praising Hitler, that's bizarre, don't you think? Now, I will have to wait for the final facts to come out, but if the two reports I received are borne out, there's obviously a chance I've been told something inaccurate. But if it's true, it will come as a shocking surprise, not only to the Jews of the city, but I think to the Filipino community itself too. I'm sure they will be appalled and embarrassed by this, and it wouldn't surprise me if these attackers are subject to a lot of correction from their own community. I'm optimistic in that regard. I think that Filipino leadership, especially in the churches, will probably be harder on these attackers than either the Jews or the civic authorities or police. That's just a guess. And as I write this, I can see that the media is already losing interest in the story. And as I write this, Justin Trudeau has not yet written a tweet about this attack. So every moment that passes, and this story is now two days old, every moment that passes confirms for me that perhaps my two sources are correct. For if it had been a white supremacist group or right-wingers who attacked these Jews, don't you think Trudeau would have weaponized this moment into a political denunciation of his enemies, like he did earlier this year? Remember when an 11-year-old girl lied and said that a Chinese man had accosted her on the street on the way to school twice, and with a pair of scissors that, scissors that he just happened to be carrying, carefully cut her hijab 
while she just stood there, I guess. And, and oh, by the way, he was so careful that he didn't cut her when he cut her hijab. And he was so careful that no one else saw, even though he came back a second time. I mean, it was so obviously a hoax. Yet the school board convened a national press conference for a minor child, put her in front of the cameras, while the attacker was allegedly still on the prowl. What an obvious lie. Uh, Trudeau tweeted about it almost immediately. It was so quick. It looked, it felt like it was orchestrated. And when the girl was, in fact, proven to be a liar, well, Justin Trudeau has kept the tweet up to this day. Because the most important thing is to scold Canadians for being bigots, anti-Muslim bigots, even if it wasn't true. It's true enough. Well, here in Toronto two days ago, we actually have a real assault on the street by a gang, one of whom is in custody. It ain't no hoax. And Trudeau's too busy. Because I suspect the perpetrators don't fit the narrative about who Trudeau likes to scold as bigots. I'm surprised by the whole thing. I've never heard of anti-Semitism amongst the Filipino community, at least not here in Canada. But that doesn't mean we ignore this story. Let's understand this story. Let's figure out this story. But the left doesn't want to because they really don't care about racism. They only care about racism from certain people against certain people. I think I showed you this video the other day of Louis Farrakhan, the black activist, the leader of the Nation of Islam, as it's called, talking a bit about Jews. Uh, I'm not going to play you a long clip. This is just an excerpt for it. This was just earlier this year. Get a load of this. I'm not mad at you. Because you're so stupid. Don't you know, my teacher, Elijah Muhammad, taught me one day, he said there once was a donkey that fell in the ditch. And everybody came along, they picked up a stone and threw it at the donkey. They threw so many stones till the ditch got filled up and the donkey walked out. So my teacher said, brother, remember, every knock is a boost. So when they talk about Farrakhan, call me a hater, you know what they do? Call me an anti-Semite. Stop it. I'm anti-termite. That really is similar to Nazi imagery of Jews as, as rats and vermin. And yet Louis Farrakhan remains polite company. He's on all the social media outlets. He's never deplatformed. And look at him here. Look at this picture. He's in the front row, the row of honor, with Bill Clinton and Jesse Jackson, now Sharpton, at a funeral. Now, Bill Clinton says he hates racism. Oh, he sure does. Except if they're his political allies. Speaking of which, <clears throat> you can see Jesse Jackson there. Do you remember he once called New York City Jaime Town, which is such a weird insult. And, and Al Sharpton, he has literally fomented race riots that killed Jews dead in New York. A modern pogrom. And not only was Bill Clinton fine with that, sat next to him, so is the entire mainstream media, really. 
what is Farrakhan but the black version of the KKK? And just a couple months ago, they were all sitting together at a funeral and the media didn't squawk. I showed you a story in the New York Times of all places a few days ago that shows anti-Semitic crime in New York is just not right wing. It's just not. That's their euphemistic way of saying it's done by people like Louis Farrakhan. Here, let me quote from the story. During the past 22 months, not one person caught or identified as the aggressor in an anti-Semitic hate crime has been associated with a far right wing group. Mark Molinari, commanding officer of the police department's hate crimes task force, told me. I'm surprised that the Times even published that. So why did this happen? Um, since when did the left, the civil rights left, the deeply caring left, the tolerant left, when did they stop caring about anti-Semitism, except uh, to use as a political weapon against conservatives? Why don't they care anymore? I think the answer, or at least when the change happened, was 1967. That was the year of the Six-Day War when the tiny new state of Israel, not even 20 years old, smashed the combined armies of several Arab states that had vowed to wipe it off the map together and drive the Jews into the sea and finish the job that Hitler started. Israel decided to live instead, decided that the Jewish people had been victims for long enough, and so they won. And so they were no longer the underdog. And so the left didn't really like them anymore. The left likes Jews who are helpless. It's the same about America. For about 10 minutes right after 9-11, the whole world sympathized with America because America was hurt and bleeding and a victim, which it almost never is. But when America finally fought back, the establishment, the liberals, the media, the world's NGOs, the UN, they all hated America again. It's cultural Marxism in a way. The left likes underdogs and Jews refuse to play the role of victim these days, so the left has traded up. They're now casting Palestinians as the victims of Jews. Now, Palestinians are victims, but they're victims of their own terrorist leadership, victims of their own dictators, victims of the United Nations itself. And that very United Nations agency that Justin Trudeau funds, the Palestinian issue gives new license to the left for them to indulge in age-old anti-Semitism. And the mass migration of Muslims to the West just makes that indulgence politically valuable too. That's the left these days in the United Kingdom under Jeremy Corbyn, the left in Australia, in the US and in Canada. There are a few Jews left in the Democrat party, but not too many. There are a few Jews left in Trudeau's liberals, but not too many. None have the profile and the power of Muslim extremists like say, Ikra Khalid, who wrote the M103 anti-Islamophobia motion, or Omar al-Jabra, Trudeau's Muslim lieutenant. The Toronto attack two days ago is awful, no matter who did it. Thank God no one was seriously hurt, let alone killed. I sort of hope it was a rogue anomaly of a pack of Filipino teenagers who just need a good, harsh disciplining by their own families and communities and churches, uh, which would never countenance such behavior. If it was, Filipino youths, I think this will precipitate a large internal reaction from that community that hopefully in the long term will be healthy. Because if it were just a Muslim gang European style, like happens all the time in places like France, not only would it likely not be condemned by mainstream leadership in their own community, but it would be winked at by Justin Trudeau too, who might even offer compensation to the gang members and say they have an important voice here in Canada. Stay with us, more ahead.
That is terrifying footage of a terrorist attack on southern Israel, unfortunately a common occurrence. Uh, the attack comes from the terrorist enclave of Gaza that was unilaterally given to the Hamas terrorist group by Israel in an attempt at peace. As you can see, there is no peace to be found. Uh, besides those attacks, there was a passenger bus, a civilian bus, hit by uh, one such attack. One man is critically injured. As you can say, it's so obvious, I don't even need to point it out. These attacks are directed at civilians, not the Israeli military. Well, one man who lives literally within reach of such terrorism is our next guest. His name is Yisai Fleischer, and he's with uh, the international spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, and he's affiliated with hebronfund.org. He joins me in our Toronto office. Great to see you. Welcome to Canada. Great to be on The Rebel. Well, thank you for being here. And we, of course, hung out with you a little bit when we had our trip to Israel. Uh, you were kind enough to give a tour to Katie Hopkins of different places in Hebron, including a terrible place where a child was murdered by a Palestinian terrorist sniper. Yeah, you know what? Jihadism is a prevalent uh, ideology in our region. Israel is uh, not really different than the rest of the Middle East. Jihadism has taken root uh, in the consciousness of, of many Arabs and Muslims, sadly. Uh, and we push back on that. We've existed in that city for 3,800 years. We're an indigenous people in that city. And today it's being claimed that we're somehow foreigners or occupiers. We're pushing back on that narrative and making sure that we continue to exist where we've always lived, uh, next to the tombs of our fathers and mothers in Hebron. Uh, you're a very articulate spokesman for Hebron and the Jewish fact there. I like your allusion to being the indigenous people of the land. That is, that is a very powerful way of phrasing it. But you don't just talk about it. You live there. You are living the fact. Um, Tell our viewers in Canada a little bit about what daily life is like when you're living really in a Jewish enclave surrounded by a population that is at best passive, but at worst actively hoping and working for your death. First thing I, I want to say that not every Arab that lives in Hebron wants to destroy the Jewish people or Israel or the Jewish community in Hebron. There are many, many decent Arabs and tolerant Arabs, but their voices are, are subjugated, are, are pushed down because the violent folks, the extremist folks, the jihadists, their first enemy is decent and tolerant Arabs. They want to shut down those voices. And we've had many experiences of Arabs who speak out saying, hey, wait a minute, our cousins have every right to be here. They're, it's a good country, Israel. Cousins, that's what Muslims call Jews. That's right. That's what you think of each other at the end of the day. As, as, some as, Muslims call some Jews that right. and some Jews. Because right. I, I suppose that's going to the... To the uh, Abrahamic religion, I, that would be... The, That's right. We're, I mean, ostensibly, we are a Semitic grouping yeah. of people. We have a similar language, similar DNA. But anyway, my point is, is that most, many Arabs that want to say that and think that way are, right. are repressed by that very same jihad that wants to destroy us. With, with regard to your question, the Jews that live in Hebron are a committed sort. Mm -hmm. Okay, They are folks that want to make sure to continue to live in that town and to assert our rights. Uh, and and maybe maybe you know instead of the peace dialogue, we're really it's a rights dialogue. We have rights to live in the city. We're not going to be bullied around. I think that's what the return to the, of the Jewish people to the land of Israel and Zionism is in part also about, which is you're not going to push me around anymore. I'm going to be able to defend myself. And there are really two kinds of minorities in the Middle East: armed and unarmed. Okay, so Yazidis, Copts, Christians, they're on the run because yeah, the they're Kurds, unarmed. Yeah. But the Kurds. 
with their Peshmerga, push back on the jihad. Right. They're Muslim, by the way, but they push back on the jihad. So too the Jews, a Semitic minority in our region, push back on the jihad and exist. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned in, in passing, but it's actually quite interesting. For years, um, the Palestinian Arabs, some Christian, mainly Muslim, were amongst the best educated, the most economically successful Arabs in the region. But when Yasser Arafat was brought back and given his fiefdom, he eradicated the intellectual class, the critics, the professors, the free thinkers. He drove them out. And now Hamas is even driving out the PLO type. So you're so right that whatever little seedlings there were of hope for a, a democratic civil society in Palestine were wiped out first by Arafat and now by Hamas. Absolutely. The, the jihad is intolerant of other kinds of Muslims or other kinds of Arabs. Hmm. They're the first to go on the chopping block. And we have many examples of this. Right now, in eastern Jerusalem, there are riots, jihadist riots, against anybody who's suspected of selling property to Jews. Hmm. Okay, so selling their own property. Selling their own property for, for a great profit. Hmm. But that's illegal. That, that warrants the death penalty in the Palestinian Authority because they are, they're a jihadist entity trying to destroy Israel. Hmm. So anybody who's uh, making any kind of separate peace or any kind of understanding with the Jews, anybody who thinks, you know what, darn it, you know, Israel is actually a good country. And it's great to live in Israel or next to Israel and, and benefit from its economic matrix. Anybody who thinks that way, which is a most reasonable thought, uh, is persecuted. Now, um, we connected with you when we were in Israel last uh, summer. What are you doing in North America now? You're in Toronto. Uh, you told me before we turned the cameras on that you're traveling a little bit around. What's your mission over here? What exactly uh, does the Hebron Fund do? And what is your mission as the spokesman for the Jewish community in Hebron? Okay, first thing, the, the, the job of the Jewish community of Hebron is to exist there <laughs> and to protect uh, the tombs of the forefathers and mothers, the, the tomb of the patriarchs, to ensure access to it and freedom, okay, mm -hmm. to this place of worship. Because if it came under Palestinian authority hands, like the tomb of Joseph in, in Nablus and Shechem, we would lose all access to it. So mm -hmm. we don't want that, so our community continues to, to hold on strong. So somebody has to make sure that our community is funded, its defense apparatus, its, its beautification apparatus, we have a lot of uh, tourism that we bring in, but we make sure to bring people in armored buses, and we make sure that there's beautiful concerts. So we do a lot to draw people in and overcome that fear factor. And we're also doing a lot in order to counter the, the anti-Israel narrative, mm -hmm. which a lot of times is focused on Hebron, uh, you know, making, making it out to be that our community is violent or hateful or insightful, when in fact it's a peace-loving community that wants to exist, yes, and wants to push back on the jihad, Okay, in order to, to, to exist and, and to survive and to give, uh, give our community uh, its, its fair shake mm -hmm. in terms of information. And the other thing is to work against actively the two-state solution, which was a bad way of thinking of the, of the past, which is that we should give away chunks of land in the hopes of giving, uh, getting peace. Uh, today in Israel, it's especially after Gaza, but, well, after what we're seeing now in the news, Israelis are tired of the idea of giving yeah. away land and then creating a forward base for the jihad. Yeah. Uh, that's not the way to move forward, we believe. It's to hold on to the land. It's to give as much decencies and rights and liberties to people, uh, Arabs and others, uh, that will not endanger our state. But it's to really hold on, and that's really the way of the Middle East. Draw those lines. You know, I, I, would you say it's accurate that... There was so much hope and that the left in Israel bet everything on the peace deal. And when Hamas and others took it and laughed and launched the attack, that really discredited 
the left-wing hope for peace, peace now. All these doves who thought, oh, they're just like us. We can do a deal with them just the same way, you know, Canada and the United States can negotiate a trade deal. We can negotiate as trustworthy, good faith. Like, I, it seems to me that there was so much hope. Everyone bet everything. It blew up. And there really isn't a peace now left of any size in Israel other than in the media. Is that right? I'm always telling the Israeli left, there are many good issues that you should be on, environment, education, equalities, uh, 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 economic equalities. There's many good issues. Mm -hmm. But on the issue of security, of giving away land, that's simply not the Middle East code. I think it's discredited. That's it's my discredited. point. You, it's like, discredited. Would you agree that, it's politically discredited yeah. today, and that's why Israel is shifting to the right, because the left has had their turn. Mm -hmm. They have fully aired it out. They have tested it now yeah. in land giveaways in the Sinai, in South Lebanon, in mm -hmm. Gaza, in the West Bank, Judea and Samaria. And so that is, and, and, you know, there's, it's over. And people, in the era of ISIS, it's, it's even, it's right. even tougher. ISIS, ISIS is just hyper jihadism. Yeah. We, ha we have it in, in many different forms. And I have to say that before you go to ISIS, the PA itself is an inciting yeah. jihadist and corrupt regime. Yeah, Palestinian authority. Let me ask you this. Um, I went to campus, I went to university in Canada 25 years ago now, and I could see the roots of anti-Israel extremism, even though the Muslim population on campus then was much smaller. Uh, and in fact, it was largely exchange students. I remember some exchange students from Syria who really took one course uh, just to say they were students, but full-time they were anti-Israel agitators. And I always thought that was a bit of a trick to call yourself a student, you're, a, you're really a professional, foreign-funded activist. I saw that 25 years ago mm. when there was just a few hundred of them on campus. Right. Now, I find that campuses across Canada, and it's just as bad in the States, and it's worse in the United Kingdom, are crucibles of anti-Israel extremism, anti-Semitism, and even pro-Jihad activism. The idea of BDS, boycotting, divesting, and sanctioning Israel is now uh, a mantra. How do you try to stop this? Well, it was a snowflake that turned into a snowball, turned into an avalanche, is what I'm saying in the last 25 years. How do you make a dent in that in North America? Well, Ezra, I, I think that first thing we have to analyze the war tactic. And there's something out there called weaponized narrative. In the absence of the ability to wipe Israel off the map militarily, with six Arab armies conjoining and trying to attack Israel in one you know, fell swoop and get rid of it physically, uh, that has been an abject failure. And the Jihad and others of their ilk sat back down at the drawing board and were like, okay, killing the Jews in one shot doesn't work. What are we going to do? And they've gone towards a kind of Soviet mode of, uh, of delegitimization. And, and, and to, uh, to, to undermine the Israeli society and undermine support for Israeli society, for Israel around the world. And this campus movement that you're talking about. So are we ahead of the war effort of the Palestinians and the Jihad? Yes, physically we're way ahead of them in terms of jets, you know, uh, all those abilities. But in terms of the narrative war, the weaponized narrative, they're ahead of us. They were ahead of us a long time ago. They realized that the old war is not going to work. And uh, how, how do we head it off of the past? Things like rebel media, 
okay, puts the, it rebels, it, it puts a fight back into it. Uh, our fight against UNESCO, UNESCO is the uh, legitimate arm of the jihad in that it uh, tries to say, oh, the Jews have no rights to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, to the tomb of Rachel in Bethlehem, to the tombs of the patriarchs in Hebron. Okay, so we push back on them. It ended in that the Trump administration left UNESCO specifically because of their anti-Hebron vote, meaning to say there was an anti Jewish narrative, a history erasure narrative, and we, and then media organizations like yourselves, and then the, the Trump administration got behind and pushed back on that fake narrative, fake history. That's what the mm. President, Prime Minister Netanyahu called it at the UN, he called it fake history. Mm. So first, the first thing right now, I think, is for everybody to do like a, a shake it out, like wake up, this is the war we're fighting, the narrative war. And I say this to Jewish organizations as well that don't understand that, that if somebody says, you stole my land, and you say, well, but we invented the cell phone, that is not an answer. Yeah. We gotta have a tough answer that says, we have every right to this land, we're gonna push back on the jihad, and, and be an aggressive narrative warrior instead of a passive one. Huh, very interesting. Well, listen, it's great to have you here in our world headquarters in Toronto. It was nice to hang out with you a little bit when we were in Israel. I wish you good luck on the rest of your tour. Folks, if you want to learn more, we've been speaking with Yishai Fleischer. He's a spokesman for the Jewish community of Hebron, and you can go to his website, hebronfund.org. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about the plight of Asia Bibi, the Pakistani Christian woman. Betty writes, I hope that Asia Bibi does not come to Canada. If Canada institutes blasphemy laws because of M103, she will be no further ahead than when she was in Pakistan. Well, obviously, it's not that bad, and it wouldn't be that bad. Uh, I don't think we would put someone in solitary confinement for eight or ten years for criticizing Islam. We're not that far gone. But... Look, if there's an anti-Islamophobia book um, law on the books, some wacko will try to use it. That's what happened to me a dozen years ago. Published the Danish cartoons of Mohammed. Some wacko, some Pakistani imam named Syed Soharwardi um, said, oh, this law's right here. I hate Jews. I hate Levant. He published cartoon of Mohammed. I'm going to take a run at him. You know, the law was there, so some freak from Pakistan used it. Bob writes, There is no truth or honor in the heart of the liberal leader, and it is strictly virtue signaling when he speaks for, of asylum for Asia Bibi. Yeah, um, listen, uh, Justin Trudeau shut down the primarily Christian private refugee sponsorship in favor of government-funded, almost exclusively, Muslim refugee sponsorship. Justin Trudeau called the special program for Christians who were being picked on, he called it disgusting in the 2015 election. Don't pretend that Justin Trudeau cares about Asia, Bibi. Listen, I hope I'm wrong on that. I hope I'm wrong. I don't think I am. Robert writes, Macron's statement on nationalism is completely nonsensical. It is classic Trudeau-esque word salad. Yeah, you're so right. I mean, I, I, I like words and sometimes I look, well, you know, nation, it comes from the same root as to be born, and patriotism, it comes for, from father, well, fathers and sons and being born and motherland. These are all 
terms that if they're not interchangeable are also related. And, and as a lot of folks pointed out, even Trump, Trump was right on this this morning. He was tweeting about this early in the morning. He was saying that few countries are as proud and patriotic and nationalist as France itself. It's absurd to say France is not national. You know what? Someone tweeted this, and so I checked it out for myself because I'm always skeptical what I see on Twitter. Someone quoted a translation of the Marseillaise, if I'm saying that right, the, the French anthem. And there is a line in that French anthem about uh, soaking the French soil with the impure blood of French enemies. Whoa! Whoa! That's heavy duty. Yeah, don't tell me the French are not nationalists. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's exactly right. Word salad, baffle gab. Uh, he and Justin Trudeau are peas in a pod in that regard. You know what, I, um, I saw how Justin Trudeau and Emmanuel Macron uh, gazed lovingly upon each other and uh, un united in their despise for Donald Trump. I should tell you that according to uh, the latest poll that I've seen, uh, Emmanuel Macron is disapproved of, disliked by 71% of French voters. He is hated. Uh, last I checked, Justin Trudeau was at 41% popularity. Last I checked, Donald Trump was at 49%. So if you add up Emmanuel Macron's popularity and Justin Trudeau's popularity, you just barely get to Trump's popularity. You wouldn't think so, judging by the loving media coverage, would you? Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.